Perk Pome is a Ghanaian environmental activist from Accra, who is currently the national coordinator of the Ghana Youth Environmental Movement, a leading youth-led environment and climate advocacy and campaign group in Ghana. I started by asking Perk to tell me more about how the youth movement works. So we are a leading youth-led environmental policy advocacy and non-violent campaign group in Ghana. So we um, work by mobilizing young people within our community uh, to take action and also to solve environmental issues within their communities and also participate um, in the national decision-making processes on the issues of climate change and other environmental actions in the country. So um, we also, um, as a youth movement, we identify as a, mood, as a movement because we draw inspiration from um, social causes or social groups from the past that have been able to uh, lead and take actions that have contributed to the transformational change of society that we currently live in. So we draw inspiration from these um, social movements and also are learning from them some of the actions and the tools that they used to be able to achieve the uh, systemic changes that they were able to achieve. So we, we do this by um, mobilizing young people, by engaging in activities such as campaigns, using tools like nonviolent direct action. Uh, we also conduct um, researches. We also engage in policy advocacies in some of our projects and activities. And also take on community-based project implementation. So um, we have, as a youth movement, yes, we work with young people between the ages of 15 to 35 because we believe uh, this is a critical age group and as a, an age group that um, experiences most of the impact of the environmental crisis that we have in our age and also um, whatever decision that means we made today is going to affect or impact our lives. So there's a need for young people to get involved and uh, we also look for commitment and availability amongst young people and work with uh, those we recruit by supporting them with skills and uh, network opportunities and uh, training opportunities to build, to build their capacity to be able to work effectively in the area of their interests in the environment. Fantastic. Um, um, really important uh, work. Um, tell me something, Perk, um, about the natural beauty and the nature of, of Ghana. Ghana um, is a country known to have quite, uh, it's rich in biodiversity. You're looking at um, our landscape, which uh, is a bit diverse. We have the rainforest, we have the savannah, we have the coastal communities. So there's a beautiful diversity when it comes to environmental or, let me say, environmental landscape. And um, due to that, we have some of our key tourist attractions that are designed around the natural environment like the Kakum Park, like the Mole National Park and other um, park or tourist sites. So looking at the environmental scape in Ghana, it's really beautiful and diverse with the flora and fauna of the country. 
and also um in the Tiwa forest range like this we have um we've identified certain key biodiversity species that are not even available in other parts of the world so these are some of the beautiful environmental landscapes that we have in the country the greatest source of aluminium is found in a soft rock called bauxite generally red in color due to its high iron ore content bauxite is a fruit of tropical forests a hot and wet Tropical climate sets the perfect conditions for bauxite formation, which requires a prolonged period of high temperatures and heavy rainfall. This tropical weathering also produces a wide variety of chemistry and ore mineralogy. Bauxite does vary substantially in composition depending on the region it is found, containing minerals and materials such as quartz, hermatite, magnetite, siderite and gotite. Several toxic and heavy metals such as arsenic, lead, cadmium, chromium, titanium, vanadium or mercury occur in bauxite. Bauxite is a very soft rock that liquefies and turns to a fine dust easily. I asked Perk, how has bauxite mining impacted the natural beauty of Ghana? Bauxite mining, uh, we know is strip mining. So um, the process of mining is, is very destructive to the environment because you have to strip off the topsoil and that also means stripping off the natural habitat, the natural vegetation, stripping off um, biodiversity or wildlife habitats from the topsoil to be able to get access to bauxite which is the raw um, material. And this is very destructive and devastating because then you'd have to destroy what you have on top of the land to be able to get access to the minerals below the topsoil. And um, this also leaves the vegetation or the very rich rainforest vegetation very dry because then uh, once you clear the topsoil, you are losing this naturally built ecosystem which you cannot replace after strip mining. And um, this also leaves the land very bare. So a bare land uh, is prone to uh, issues like um, droughts. Uh, you have issues like um, um, land topsoil cracks. Uh, also, uh, in some areas, you have issues of dust production. You have a lot of dust particles or dust being pro produced because the land is bare. Uh, is dry, is parched, and also it becomes unfertile. It becomes unuseful to to humanity. So these are some of the impacts it has on the land itself. And also, definitely, once it has an impact on the land, it's going to have an impact on the livelihoods of the people living within those communities or people whose livelihood depend on um, the the natural. Uh, ecosystem or the natural resources that are on the topsoil, that are on the land. And what sort of area are we talking about, Perk? How much land are, are we talking about um, from an area point of view? So uh, I can't give that figures, but I'm looking at some of the existing um, mining, bauxite mining sites that we have in the, in the country, like in Nehim. And um, our so those are very big lands landscapes, um, probably measured in hectares. 
and I'm looking at drone footages or images of the bauxite, the existing bauxite mining site. You could see that it's very destructive. A whole patch of land looking very red or brownish. And um, you, it's, it's clear, it's very clear that um, this part of land that has been destroyed can no more sustain uh, any type of um, life. It cannot sustain life. It cannot sustain plant life. It cannot sustain animal life because it's been destroyed. It's been it's been left bare and uh, on unproductive. So, talking about size, I can't give figures, but uh, from a current or existing bauxite site, it's very huge, and we don't want to see that happen in uh, the Itiwa Forest Range. Also, because the Itiwa Forest Range. Um, plays a critical role with our water resources, the, 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 the forest sources, three main rivers, which provide water to over 5 million Ghanaians. So destroying the forest also means you are destroying the source of water to uh, this number of Ghanaians. And you, water is very important. And also in a country where we are already facing water challenges, Ghana Water Company, which is a state institution, is already rationing water so having bauxite mined in the Tiwa forest is going to have devastating impact on the forest and also livelihoods that are not even within the forest range and beyond the forest range and also as a country as a whole. Just in relation to water, the bauxite mine itself uses a lot of water, doesn't it, in, in the mining process? Absolutely. It, it does use its water in its process in mining and refining and also processing the raw material out. So once it's out, you may have to wash it just like how um, in other mining processes, you have to be able to extract the mineral from from uh, the whole uh, other unwanted material that you, you dig. You get from digging out the minerals. Are there areas in Ghana where the mining companies have left so to speak, from the bauxite, and 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 if there are, they've basically left behind a desert, have they? The what's left behind, they don't repair it, or they don't make it, they don't make it fertile again. From the current sites are left bare. The the lands are left just like they, they are not um, regenerated. So the land are left bare, and they just produce uh, red dust, which then pollutes a community and leaves people's property and uh, leaves other infrastructures within the community, within the range which the forest is taking place, coated with red dust, which has other serious health implications and also implications on people's livelihood and also on infrastructure and, and um, other aspects or other, life, other aspects of the lives of people really living within their community. Tell us more, Perk, about the red dust and its its impacts, you know, and how far uh, it can go and travel uh, uh, throughout Ghana. Red dust can travel far because um, even considering the huge tracks that move the, the 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 material from the raw material from the mining sites all the way to. Um, where they are kept, they are stored, they are processed, or even if exported, um, you you can see that they leave particles on the trail. So 
then the communities the closest communities to the line site are always covered in red dust there are heavy trucks always plowing the road and leaving traces of red dust particles within the community because they always drive through the communities to get out these uh, raw materials and um you find red dust covering the other parts of the vegetation that have not been uh, mined yet so then um you have red dust as a coat on plants and this also hinders plants and plant growth in in in, in the forest scapes because then you have red dust covering almost everything and also allowing the plants and the natural vegetation there to grow uh properly or efficiently you also have red dust covering infrastructure so people's homes are always filled with red dust people's uh businesses are always filled with red dust. so this also then has an impact on your ability to uh keep to the hygiene or hygienic practices in terms of keeping your home very clean and neat always offices where you do your business even with um living within your own homes you have red earth particles always in the atmosphere so which also means that you get to consume this even in your daily lives apart from inhaling them whenever you open your mouth eat something you have red dust in the particles which may not even be visible to your own uh eyes so then um the impact or the devastating impact of red dust is quite abroad not just within the communities that are closely uh or pro very close to their mining site but also along the trails and the road networks by which these raw materials are taken out of the mining sites so we're talking about impacts around hundreds of kilometers away from the actual mines themselves absolutely and tell us perk a little bit about the the impact of the red dust or other uh toxic elements on the actual health of people and animals uh either close to the mine or 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 on the roads where the trucks are traveling tell us you know are there increases in diseases or respiratory diseases among among uh, the the people and among the animals uh, in the areas red dust uh, also once um, affects air quality so then um, air pollution is very consistent and rampant in such communities and um, with dust particles filling the airspace for the community members and those living uh, around or on the ridge of the tracks, the export tracks, the transport tracks, uh, it raises issues of um, respiratory concerns, like um, having to be exposed to uh, other diseases like um, Qatar, which, which uh, in other words are called flu in the in the West or in Europe. But here it's it's very devastating because then. You have your running nose, it comes with migraine headaches, which uh, causes serious health concerns also to people living within the communities and also to animals. Um, yes, once it affects the air quality, it's also going to affect um, the air quality that animals within the forest range or the mining sites uh, breathe in and also for habitats that live below the topsoil like some rodents that help with uh, soil soil aeration with air going 
into the yeah. soil and also with uh, other rodents that help the soil network and also help with the growth of trees in terms of their root network this topsoil mining then has effect on this type of biodiversity that are found within this um mining site and also um with the issue of um um animals then once once the habitats of animals are destroyed then they have to then look for um other places to to call their home then you now have some wild animals from the forest cape or uh, catchment moving into the homes of people like snakes and other poisonous um animals that are supposed to be left or are supposed to have their habitat in the forest now moving into the homes of people because they live close to some of these mining sites and just to for listeners uh, to uh, the podcast you know the, the bauxite the best place to get bauxite is in tropical forests so uh, where where they're mining perk is in the most biodiverse places on earth the most the 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 amazon they they do bauxite mining in the amazon in brazil as well so so this these places are some of the best places in the world for biodiversity aren't they yes yes they are like um we currently have in the case of the itiwa forest is is very rich in um biodiversity and also um because of its richness in biodiversity it has been um said to be a biodiversity rich area and has been noted to um contribute sorry yes noted to contribute to the um rich um how do i call it ecosystem that we have in the, uh, within the forest caves in the country so um as part of our campaigns i thought of the actions that cso's and other youth, uh, groups are running is to protect the forest range or the scape because one etiwa uh, forest range makes one third of the 20 percent of the forest scape that we have in the country and um it's important for us to protect the forest scape and convert it into a national park where um scientists it could serve as a hub for scientists to study the rich biodiversity that we have in the landscape to also serve as a natural place for fun games for touring and also for other um purposes and also even protecting and have uh, protecting and uh, nurturing some indigenous and uh, some indigenous plant species that are found within the forest um landscape so so this is the alternative you're presenting that um if we protect um, biodiversity, there can be uh, jobs in in tourism or in research or um, other other areas. There are there are alternative solutions. That's what you're saying. Absolutely, there are alternative solutions to um, to development, and we don't we don't need to destroy the forest cover to be able to develop in terms of infrastructure wise where. Uh, having a better deal to 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 mine bauxite in the forest and also to develop a country like build um, hospitals, have good road networks, and that 
the country can still generate that amount of money that it needs sustainably to develop. So here we are also urging the government to consider green development rather than um, other destructive ways of developing the country. You've mentioned a little bit about local communities because often the argument is that uh, this the mining brings jobs. But, could, you know, give us a per, an overall perspective of the positives and the negatives, so to speak, or the, the true impacts on the local communities. Are they, are they happy with the bauxite mining because it's bringing jobs? Or what is the, what is the true perspective of the impact on the local communities? I would say that most of our laws do not uh, favour the locals or the indigenous people living within these communities. It most often favours the investors. So in terms of, yeah, that the narrative out there is going to create jobs and transform their lives, but you don't see that reflecting or happening in the lives of those living in the community. Uh, a, a case scenario could is... Um, these mining companies then come, they come into the community, they set up, they hire their people, they, they, they employ people beyond the community and even most often don't even uh, have a good percentage of um, uh, local and international uh, employees ratio. So then you have people, you have these companies bringing in their own people from outside the country to come work. Then you have just a handful of people from the community doing the menial jobs like the um, the working class and these are people who don't even earn much of the, the, the revenue or the profit generated from the bauxite mining. So these people still find themselves living in uh, living uh, in, in challenges also. You still find these people living um, low livelihoods because then the revenue they even get, and even that's just a handful of people who are, are, are employed. But then they do not even have the required skills, uh, knowledge, and um, they do not have the required capacity to be able to effectively work in such offices or work with such companies. And um, the communities, um, most often the narrative is this mining, mining companies through CSR projects, community social responsibility projects, uh, invest or give back into the communities but then you don't really see much of this because then uh, you have community people complaining or uh, talking about they not be able to afford school fees they they having to spend a lot of the little money they have on their health because of the impact of bauxite mining on um on their communities uh, also road networks the, the roads are very bad and you, you still see these companies with their heavy trucks plowing the roads with poor road networks, so many potholes, and they do not even see or feel the impact because then they use heavy trucks, probably even drive the best of cars with the best of the trucks as well. But then you have community people working, uh, uh, working, uh, using these routes to their homes or to their workplaces. You have them using public transports, which are already in poor condition and shape. So most of the times these... Um, those do not do not really uh, impact positively the lives of those living with the, within the community. Yeah, and I read Perk about in the Amazon and in Guinea and how 
uh, in some communities, they had to start buying in vegetables and foods because they couldn't grow local vegetables anymore because of the pollution from the bauxite mining that and that the prices of basic commodities of rice and and other products uh, started uh, significantly increasing. So they ended up being poorer, many people in the local community, than before the mining companies had arrived. Yes, and uh, I would say that in the case of Ghana, it's even too different from what's happening in Brazil because then once um, a mining company moves there and because of the nature of the business, you have um, businesses increasing their prices to able to make much revenue. So then uh, these company workers or officials are able to afford services, but the locals are able to afford these services because of the nature of the business and the perception that has created within the community. So we, we, we have issues, we've, we've had issues like that in, in Ghana in sites where um, mining, but not just bauxite mining, but even gold mining like Obwase, Takwawe, it's very expensive to live in such um, communities. Even even with rent, uh, renting a space is very expensive because of the nature of the industry and the perceptions that's created around the um, the class or the economic class of people that live or, or that work within those um, communities. Do you have any uh, perk uh, uh, specific ind- stories of? individual families that you know or people or say examples of how much rice used to cost and how 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 much it costs now or do you have any specific examples or specific personal stories that you have been told uh, by by mothers trying to raise children or 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 fathers or any any sort of stories like that okay um i do not have personal stories from um, people in the community and experiencing direct impact. But I've had opportunity to work with um, a fellow activist who um, hails from one of the mining communities, that's Takwa. And uh, in a conversation, and um, in the conversation, we were talking about how we could do a collaborative project to support him, um, campaign against a mining company and they ignoring the price or the price of the community and leaving them in very devastating conditions like very terrible road networks and um, a road network of over of about um, 10 kilometers which should take you maximum 15 or 30 minutes drive will take you more than an hour because the road is very bad so then you you, you spend more or longer hours on road this is going to have an impact on your productivity if you work outside the community. If you are a student who uses the road to school, that would also have an impact on your time and availability since you'd have to spend more time on road and also would mean you have to cut, um, reduce your time on other activities, probably your sleep, and to be able to make enough time to commute to school. So uh, we've had that conversation and this was some of the challenges he raised and he Basically, was talking about how terrible the road was for people in the community and the dust particles that were being um, left as trails whilst these trucks moved the raw materials. 
how has the government responded? You you said earlier that they tend to favour the investors rather than the communities. But how has been the overall government response? Um, so the overall government response hasn't been uh, encouraging. It hasn't really been encouraging. And that has always caused us as a youth movement and also as a environmental cruise to keep uh, campaigning, to keep doing our policy advocacies and also to keep holding our government accountable. Currently, um, GEM is part of um, uh, a group of CSOs, organizations and individuals that is holding the government of Ghana um, accountable to an action they took uh, in the forest scape. So without a mining license, uh, they entered the Tua Forest to conduct some surveys and they, they, they devastated some portions of the land. So currently we are suing the government. The, current, the case is currently at the court where we are taking the government on, on that action that they have taken to destroy certain parts of the forest without the permission or the license. And um, this, so these are some of the actions we are taking to hold the government accountable. And it's clear that the government is not um, listening to the people because if they are listening to, we have got it to the place where we are at the court holding the government accountable and also... Um, Questioning them on why they are why they are bent on um, strip mining or mining bauxite from the forest instead of considering other alternatives like um, converting it into a national park and also uh, other sustainable ways of making um, the money or the revenue they expect to make to be able to develop the country. Is there an environmental protection agency in Ghana? In Ghana, is there a, a, a an organisation that is um, supposed to be responsible for the environment? Yes, yes, they are. We we have the environmental protection agency, which is EPA. We have um, the Minerals and Money Act, which uh, well by the instrument are supposed to protect. Uh, the environment and also the people and also protect these mining companies. But unfortunately, um, we don't see a lot of the we, we don't see a lot of the work being done by the or we are not satisfied by the work the level of work that they are currently doing in the country. And also because it's a government institution and there's a little there's some level of uh, allegiance and um, loyalty to their political uh, leaders and. Yes. Well, I come from Ireland uh, and in Ireland, the Environmental Protection Agency has had more a history of protecting industry than protecting the environment. Yeah. So it's, it's likewise here, here in the country also. Yes. Yeah. So, so these are these are significant challenges going going forward uh, that, you know, governments it seems all over the world don't listen to the communities and don't listen uh, to the citizens. Um, how how is how is things happening in in Ghana now, Perk? Is the youth movement being listened to? Are you are you hopeful? Do you do you think you can bring about positive change? Is is 
do you have some momentum? What would be your, how would you, the way you see things right now? It's, it's sometimes um, overwhelming and um, frustrating to, to see your government not listen to you, to, to see them or to hear them say one thing in, 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 the, in the eyes of the world, in the eyes of other international leaders and do the other or the direct opposite in their home country. So um, it, it's frustrating. It's, it's really frustrating uh, sometimes, but um, we also draw inspiration from some of their past um, actions, the successes of some of the past um, projects and campaign activities that we've had. And we, we allow that uh, to motivate and also to keep us hopeful that um, we, so that we don't stop and give up on the campaign and actually, and as we campaign every year, we make little progresses, we make little steps, which um, inspires us to keep pushing and uh, keep pushing. Um, so it's been, it's been, uh, it's, it's been roller coaster kind of a journey up and downs, but um, we are hopeful and we also um, let the future we envision for ourselves, the safe and just environment that we look forward to, to live in in the future and also for um, the future generation, we let that also inspire us to, to keep working hard to achieve what we set out to do. Incredible. And could you give me a specific example, Perk, of of success of something that's been a success that has made you hopeful uh, maybe just one example of something that you know something you achieved recently or in the organization that that said oh you know that that's that's that gives us hope yeah so um when um the atua case uh started um we we haven't had enough or much of the young people or even youth movement get involved in the Itiwa campaign or the Itiwa actions. So um we we saw that there was a need for us to protect the forest cape mainly because one one of the key reasons was because it was um a water resource for over five million Ghanaians. And this affected this um water source feeds or uh, feeds people beyond um, the region in which this forest cape is found. So we got involved and um, we happen to be the only youth group that is part of a wide network of other NGOs and um, well-established organizations that are pushing for this, um, this action or goal. And since we have um, joined the youth movement, sorry, since we joined the coalition and, and, and a group that's pushing for the um, protection of the Itiwa Forest Range, we have seen a growth of interest in other young people because we as a young people, as part of the group, then are beginning to create awareness on the issue and use our platform which it's already accessible to more young people get more involved on the issue of the campaign and, and the Itiwa Forest. So uh, when we got involved, we've, we've supported the campaign by holding 
um, a, a street match. We, we organize a, a street match, a protest in the city where we, 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 we march to the parliament to prevent a petition to the senior minister. We've had um, a campaign during an election year which was um, which used nonviolent direct action by by having um, huge banners in the city on the major major um, road network or streets of Accra, which most often you have these leaders, or political leaders, use from their homes to their workplace, which is the ministerial offices. So we held a campaign on these major streets, and um, after this activities we began to see a growth in awareness uh the, we began to see the conversation on protecting the uh, 81 landscape move from a small um space onto the um online platform so you have people from facebook engaging on this young people talking about it being informed having uh, that awareness on the issue beginning to question the government to the extent that um, the issue began to trend for long within the month. And we even had an international support where we had um, Leonardo DiCaprio make uh, a tweet on the Tiwa Forest. So that was within the year which we got involved and created more awareness on the issue of the Tiwa Forest. So this um, um, reflecting on these successes and how our small action as a youth group has been able to create a larger impact. This inspires us to keep pursuing uh, our, our key objective of protecting the Etiwan landscape from forest, from bauxite mining. Oh, absolutely brilliant. That That's a great example and, and uh, you know, really, really positive. So uh, is, I'm, I'm ready to say stop the recording is, unless is there anything else you'd like to say or anything that I missed in the questions or anything you'd like to add uh, before we, we, we finish before I stop the recording yeah yeah so I think um, I would like to add that um, well each and every citizen of the country have the right to enjoy a safe and a clean uh, environment and um, bauxite mining what it does is to rip people of that right to be able to enjoy or have or live within a clean and a healthy environment. So as part of our activity, our campaign, this is what we also um, campaign for, that the rights of the people are being taken from them. And it's, and it's important for us to consider that in our quest to develop and also have the infrastructures. Because what the point if you have the asphalted road, you have the, the 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 overheads and all these huge infrastructures, but then I do not have the access to basic human rights like to health, to to clean water, to healthy food, and also to clean air. If you're interested in these sorts of ideas, please check out my book Worldwide Waste at JerryMcGovern.com. To hear other interesting podcasts, please visit. This is hcd.com.